0: Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Amen. Uh, A a truth that was really helpful to me some number of years ago and is still helpful to me uh, every once in a while, so I like to share it every once in a while. Um, If you are here and... Uh, The things that we just sang don't feel true. Um, First of all, I'm really glad you're here. Um, If they don't feel true to you that God is good or that it is well, um, but you want it to be true, uh, this is the piece of advice that I have clung to a few times in the last number of years. It is okay to sing the words that you want to be true until you remember that they are. Um, And it's good to gather together and sing these words that are true when we feel like it and when we don't. Uh, And so if you're in a position this morning where this praise comes easy, because it's so clear to you right now that God is good and it is well, I am so glad you're here. If you're in a position where I don't, I don't know where I'm at with all this. Uh, we still believe that this is true, that God is good, and it is well, and and I'm glad you're here to wrestle through those things with us together. We have been talking for the last few weeks about how to be community, and this word community can be a, a little bit confusing in the sense that are we talking about you know, the East Hills community, we're we talking about the larger community, Cowlitz County, and the answer, in short, is yes, yes, we are. Uh, specifically, we've sort of majored on talking about the East Hills community and uh, who we are. There are other words you can use to describe church. We've talked about uh, the, the metaphor of the body that's in scripture a lot. We've used the phrase church family before, but family has a similar problem in that are we talking about church family or your family? So here's the thing. As we talk about community and how to be community, the way this all gets applied may look different, but it is my hope that the principles of what we're talking about apply to all of the different communities that you are a part of. Church community, your neighborhood, your family, your workplace, your school, that these things uh, that we we have talked about, things like authenticity and belonging and contribution, uh, that they are part of any of those communities. Uh, Today, we're going to talk some about forming stronger relationships, and I hope you'll find that these principles help in any relationship, that what we talk about today will help make stronger marriages and stronger families and stronger workplaces and a stronger church. Uh, we're going to dive into Scripture's teaching on this by, and I don't know why I always say dive in, but it's the phrase. I don't, I don't know. Hope it doesn't bother. Now it's going to bother people. They're like, I didn't notice. Now, every week I'm like, oh, he said it again. Anyway, sorry. We're going to look at Scripture's account of the very early church, Uh, this group of people that was convinced that Jesus was both human and divine, that he had died and been resurrected, that he had ascended into heaven and was returning a group of people who faced opposition, who faced struggles within their community and from the outside of their community and who were simply trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus every day when he's not standing right in front of us? And in that sense, they are not that different from us. We also believe that Jesus was human and divine, that he died and was resurrected, that he ascended into heaven and he will return soon. We just don't get to define what soon is. And the opposition they faced is very different than what we face. The struggles perhaps inside and outside of their community different just based on time and space. And we are also trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus every day together when he's not standing right in front of us. Something about their community led them to be described this way. And this is in Acts chapter 4. Uh, verse 32 says all the believers were united in heart and mind all the believers were united in heart and mind so how did how did they get here how did they get bonded like that that they were united in heart and mind because we know they didn't agree on everything for sure they didn't agree on how to care for people they didn't even agree on who to care for who was in who was out See, very quickly, they didn't agree on all of their theology. And yet, they were united and bonded in a significant way. This community was created in the wake of a miraculous event that after Jesus died and was resurrected, which is miraculous enough in and of itself, uh, he ascended into heaven and they they watched him go, or at least a few of them did. And right before he ascended into heaven, where he's still alive today and we're still awaiting his return, he told his closest followers, hey, I know y'all are from the small towns out there, but I need you to wait in Jerusalem. I need you to wait in the big city. I just need you to hang on until you receive God's Holy Spirit. Now they had no idea what that meant, to receive God's Holy Spirit or what it would look like. But what they did know is that Jesus had told them to wait. So they would wait. So they waited and and they waited and they waited some more. And then one day, this sound like a strong wind comes flooding through town. And it kind of gets everybody's attention and they all look to see where the wind is headed. And when they look, they see Jesus's disciples. Probably most of them did not know that they were Jesus's disciples. They see this group of people with what looks like little uh, flames over their head. And these people are all talking at once. Now, this is all happening on the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. And we celebrate Pentecost today as a church as the day that God's Holy Spirit came to live in and among us. But for them, it was an already established holiday. And so lots of people from all over the place, lots of Jewish people were in Jerusalem to celebrate this holiday. And they come from their different languages and backgrounds and regions, and they're all in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost together. And when they look this big crowd, and they see this small group of people with little flames over their head, all talking at once, they realize that everybody understands them in their own language. And they ask a really good and significant question that we should probably all ask when it seems like maybe God is up to something. They asked, what does all this mean? What does all this mean? what is going on? And Peter, the, I guess, lead disciple, stands up and he starts telling him what it means. He said, look, you are Jewish people. You know that God has promised a Messiah, a savior, somebody who will rescue us. And we're all assuming that, or we have all assumed that he's going to rescue us from this Roman oppression that we are currently suffering from. And I'm here to tell you that that promised savior has come and it did not look like what we expected. That that Messiah was Jesus and that he died and that seemed like the end but it wasn't because he rose from the dead and what you are seeing now is not a bunch of crazy people babbling first thing in the morning this is a fulfillment of what God has promised God is up to something significant here Jesus was the Savior that we have been counting on and he died and he rose from the dead to prove it. And something about this miraculous moment and Peter's words and whatever it is that God is up to sunk into the hearts and minds of 3,000 people. And they said, yeah, we will sign on for whatever this is. Whatever this means, I'm 3,000 people. And so now the community of Jesus followers who are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus together has gone from uh, a few dozen people, tops, to 3,000 people. Here's the end of that story. You can read the whole story for yourself in Acts chapter two. Please do, please make sure I'm not just making stuff up. Uh, Acts chapter two, we'll start in verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the disciples, the leaders of the church, and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, while not every community uh, is going to look like this, uh, there are some principles that we can pull from this story things we see like celebration and devotion and service and generosity. And I think if you walk away with nothing else, if the communities that you're a part of are defined by words like celebration, devotion, service, and generosity, that's going to be a pretty good community to be a part of. In some way, these things led to their unity in heart and mind. Now, that passage ends Acts chapter two. The story continues in Acts three. Peter and one of the other disciples named John go into the temple in Jerusalem there one day. And on their way in, there is a a beggar who cannot stand or walk uh, right by the door there, uh, begging and asking for money and, and whatever it may be. And Peter and John have this miraculous encounter with him where he is healed. And uh, that gets a lot of people's attention. And then they go into the temple and they start telling this story again of who Jesus is and all that has happened and all that God is doing. And more people respond to the preaching and the community is now up to 5,000 people. These Jewish men and women and children believe that the Messiah, God's promised Savior, has come. And the more the movement picks up steam, the more freaked out and worried the Jewish leaders who don't believe become. And, and this actually uh, makes sense to me. Like, if, if you believe that God is going to send us somebody to save us from Roman oppression, and that hasn't happened yet, and now these yahoos are talking about this guy, Jesus, who you made sure was dead, and... and and that he's the Messiah, and now they're leading all the people, which you would feel like is leading the people astray, that would be frustrating and be angered. And so they call Peter and John into this meeting before their Jewish leadership council. And this is a very scary meeting for Peter and John because this group who uh, just condemned Jesus to die not too long ago has the power to condemn them to death as well. And they hear what uh, Peter and John have to say, and then they decide to confer with each other. So this is in uh, Acts chapter four. We're now in verse 16. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny they have performed a miraculous sign, And everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. That's the healing of that beggar. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak any further or not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard, The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot for everyone, was praising God. The things that they have seen and heard have them convinced that they have to share this truth. They can't not. This isn't about rebellion. This isn't about trying to stir up trouble. This is about them saying, But we have to. Like what we have seen and heard is so good and there is so much hope and it is so true. We have to share this with people. And as soon as they're free, Peter and John go back to the community of believers to report what happened and people immediately turned to prayer. I would immediately turn to praying for safety, (laughs) to praying that God would just remove those people from leadership. Can we maybe elect some new people, start a democracy, something? And that's not how they prayed. They said, God, we know that you are aware of what's going on. And then they prayed things like this. This is in verse 29 of Acts chapter four. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind. So what led this group to be united in this way? Uh, they were united in some really critical areas, and I just want to call out three of them that we see here. One of them is they were united in the conviction they had in what they had seen and heard. They had a conviction in what they had seen and heard. Many of them had walked with Jesus and, and heard his teachings. They'd seen the man, they'd seen the miracles, they'd seen him die, and they had seen him after he was resurrected when He walked with them and ate with them. Some had seen him ascend into heaven. Many had seen the Holy Spirit of God fall on the disciples. And those who hadn't seen had heard this good news and believed. They had become convinced, and they were so convinced. They had this conviction that this was the hope that the world needed. This hope was being realized that they saw no other way to live. They had to live for Jesus. They had to speak up because this was too true and too good to ignore. And then based on that conviction, they had confidence in their hope. They had confidence in their hope. They believed that Jesus had given them new life, that he was returning one day to make everything new and right, and that they now had the spirit of God in them to empower and sustain them. Church, this is also true for us. Jesus has given new life to all those who give their life to him. He is returning one day to make everything right and new. And we also have the spirit of God in us to empower and sustain us. You and I still have this kind of hope. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. Romans 12, 12 says that we are to rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Rejoice in a confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. And that is exactly what we see this early church do here. They are confident in their hope, so they endure the trouble, and they pray for even greater confidence and courage. And in that prayer, we see a unity in common purpose. They have a common purpose. Acts 4 tells us, quote, all the believers lifted their hands in prayer, end quote, and they all prayed for greater boldness in preaching the word. They prayed for God's healing power and miraculous intervention, not so they would be glorified or they would have a cool story to tell, but so that Jesus would be glorified. Boldness and power so that others could also be convinced and hopeful, convinced of the truth, confident in hope, united in a common purpose. And before I go any further, I do wanna make sure that I acknowledge the spiritual element of all of this. Their community was formed in the literal wake of the Holy Spirit of God. When they prayed for this boldness, the house shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were bonded together by the Holy Spirit of God. And scripture teaches us that we are too. That all those who are following Jesus with their life, the Holy Spirit has moved into us and to our community. And this isn't just true for those of us who would say we gather as East Hills, but for the churches in our community, for the churches around the world, we are connected, bonded by the Holy Spirit of God at work in us. So in some sense, we're we're not pursuing a a bonding with each other or, or trying to create connection. There is a sense in which we are bonded. And we need to live like that. The body of Christ with all of our different parts and pieces and functions bonded together by the sinews and ligaments of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we live like that's true? How do we strengthen those connections with each other? Uh, I've had a theory for a while now that there are four key ways that this happens in community. The communities are strengthened, bonded together, specifically uh, in two different levels, depths of forming community. And I am confident enough in this theory to share it with you. Uh, If you don't like it, that's okay, it is a theory. I'm confident enough in this theory to be very confident that there is science that backs this up, even if I don't know all of that science. I think this is a thing that we can know anecdotally that is we can we can observe it in our lives we hear stories of it we go yeah that's that's true and that we see it here in scripture in the story of the early church so for example let's go back to acts chapter 2 I'll read 44 through 47 again and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. The first level of relational bonding comes through joy and service, through joy and service. Uh, for some of you who have had this conversation with me before, you'll notice that joy is a different word than I have used in the past. I have for a long time said that people are bonded through play and service, and what I've realized is that play gives us too narrow a definition, that people hear play and they think of board games or tag on the playground, uh, and there are a lot more ways to experience joy than, than that. But relationships are strengthened when people experience joy together together and serve together. This binding uh, of joy happens, not just running around on the playground or board game nights, although certainly those things. But this, and and you see it with, uh, if you've ever been to the park um, with, with little kids who, especially if you get an extroverted one who will just run up to the other kids and go, hi, wanna play? Um, and then you're like, oh, that means I have to talk to their parents. Anyway, um, so uh, you'll see this happen, though, because they run around, and they play tag together, and, um, and who is that person now? That is their new best friend, and that will be their best friend for the rest of their life, even though they're never going to see him again. Uh, there, there's a bonding that happens when people are willing to play together, to find joy together, and this, this happens not just in games, but it happens over meals. It happens at concerts and football games. It, it happens showing each other funny TikTok videos, sitting next to each other on the couch. Like Scientifically, we know that laughing together cements memories and it creates care. We connect human to human when we experience joy together. And the church, it says here in Acts 2, took joy in God and in each other. They also served together and served one another. I mean, we read about them serving each other, yes, but they're also serving side by side to meet the needs of the community. And you can read more about that in Acts chapter six, if you'd like to do that. When people serve together, not just next to each other, but working together to serve others to achieve some common purpose, relationships are strengthened. And these two things, joy and service, form a good base level for relational unity and bonding. Now what this means is that some things that feel frivolous or unimportant or like a have to are actually really, really meaningful. Uh, Sometimes we get the idea that a, a holy Christian takes everything very seriously, And somehow we forget that Jesus told jokes, that joy is part of the fruit of the spirit, that scripture commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice. And joy, as I said, comes in lots of different forms. A good meal or a good joke, telling old stories, celebrating someone you love, birthday parties, anniversaries, cheering for the same team, having a neighbor over for dinner, playing a board game, laughing with your child over a cartoon. All of these things are meaningful, important activities. When we gather together for something like a banana split night or a talent show, these aren't just frivolities. Like We're, we're actually connecting with each other, experiencing joy together. Finding ways to serve together having your kid come out and rake leaves with you as long as you are doing it together for some common purpose, like you might actually have to talk to them, which I know they don't really want you to, but not just individually side by side, but serving together. Maybe you want to join in the United Way Day of Caring. Maybe it's serving alongside coworkers in just the daily grind of doing the job and the common purpose of getting it done. Maybe it's working with siblings to love your parents well. All of these things, when done to serve in common purpose, create a strengthened relationship. We see the early church take great joy in serving one another and strengthening relationships in joy and service. Sorry, my notes died on me. We see the early church uh, sharing what they have to share. That they take things that I know I find easy to take for granted or to depend on, that they would find easy to depend on, things like land and food, and they share them with each other, and in Doing so, I think it leads us into the second layer of community strengthening, that our bonds are strengthened by vulnerability and endurance, by vulnerability and endurance. This was a group that was incredibly vulnerable with each other, sharing these things that they could have depended on for security in order to serve one another. Vulnerability is choosing to not protect yourself in order to love someone else. And that's exactly what we see them do here. We actually see it as well in Acts chapter four, verse 32. We've been reading the first sentence of the verse, but here's the whole verse. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. And in this vulnerability, they care for each other so that they can endure together, that they can endure the threats on their life and on their community by strengthening the community. It's in the verses right before this that we read about them responding to these threats by praying for greater boldness. They pray for the courage to keep going, the strength to endure. They pray for boldness. And then it says they actually went out and preached with that boldness that they took action to endure in common purpose committed to sharing all that they had and all that they had seen and heard so that others might have hope. Uh, These four things, I think, joy, service, endurance, vulnerability, these four things explain the difference between a good small group and a great small group or a good group of friends and a great group of friends. A good group of friends laughs together, has a good time, finds a lot of joy together. A great group creates space for people to be vulnerable, to share what's going on in their lives and to walk through those hard things together. You may see these things come up in your family or maybe not. Maybe you feel bonded to your parents because there was just a lot of laughter in your house growing up, a lot of jokes, and you feel connected to them in that way. But that's about it. Okay, jokes are fun, that's good. Maybe you feel really, really bonded to your parents because they made space for you to be vulnerable with them. Maybe you feel really bonded to your siblings because none of that was true and you had to endure your childhood together. Parents, of kids still at home particularly, but I think all parents, do your kids know that they can come to you and cry for absolutely no reason? Do your kids know that they can come to you not just for answers, but more importantly, to be loved? Do they know that you will walk through things with them even if those things are their fault? With a greater focus on enduring than blaming and tearing down. There are things that our kids may need to be rescued from. But sometimes, in rescuing our kids from things, we're actually robbing ourselves of the endurance, of the opportunity to endure it with them. That we would actually be better off in our bond with our kids if we would walk through the hard things with them rather than pulling them out of it. I think we see these things show up in long-term friendships. If you have a friend that you have, somebody that uh, you maybe don't see for weeks or months or even years, and then when you get back together with them, you just pick up right where you left off, I would like to submit to you that when you were forming that relationship, that there was some significant amount of these four things in some way, at least a couple of them in that relationship. If you think of coworkers or classmates that you were really close to, something on this list marked that relationship. And the more things on this list that mark that relationship, the closer you were. Ministries you were a part of. Maybe started with joy and serving together and then somewhere along the line, you found space for vulnerability. If you've ever been on a mission trip or service trip together, you have seen this in action. There is the serving side by side of whatever it is that you are there to do, the joy that you experience together, the things that you endure together. You get tired and you get a little more vulnerable and you connect, which makes it all the harder when somebody else gets tired and they get snarky and they shut down any opportunity for vulnerability. Uh, I was probably on my 11th or 12th youth mission trip before I realized why those trips had created good bonding for our groups. And I know there's some, uh, some controversy about how good short-term trips like that are. I'm not talking about that part, just how it's good for the connection of the group. If you imagine one of these trips, if you've ever been on one, you know that the, the clunky van ride down uh, in back roads or busy freeways, there is a lot of joy happening. There, there's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of music, really loud. There's a lot of squealing, and some of them enjoy that. There's a lot of joy happening. Uh, you get down there. You're serving together. You're playing together. You're eating together. You get tired. You're vulnerable together. You endure the work together together. All of these things create connections and bonding, and then there's the ride home, which is just endurance. You're just trying to make it home, but whatever, it's all part of that connecting process. To take this more globally, or I suppose more nationally, you see these things show up in the wake of 9-11, particularly in New York City. There's no joy at first, obviously, but there was lots of service, lots of coming shoulder to shoulder to clean up, to serve, to care, people showing up at ground zero with pictures of their loved ones in the most vulnerable place they have ever been in their lives. Across the country, there was a patriotism that those who are not old enough to remember this event can't possibly fathom in the world we live in today, but a patriotism based on the shared vulnerability that we all felt. And there was an endurance that the city especially and the country pushed through in those days and weeks afterward. And the joy, when there was joy, whether it was from a baseball game or some other sense of going back to normal or the best joy, when somebody was found alive in the rubble, that joy was made all the greater by the endurance it had taken to get there. In Acts chapter 5, we read of the early church once again having to endure. In this case, the jealous and fearful and angry leaders arrested all the apostles, all the leaders of the early church community, and they threatened to kill all of them until one wise old man on the Jewish leadership council stood up and, and said, hey guys, we are going about this all wrong. And he actually convinced them to uh, let the, the apostles go. And, and the decision makers, the rest of the council, they agreed um, Mostly, uh, they had them beaten near to death first, uh, but they said, sure, after that, uh, they can go. So here's the end of that story. Again, this is in Acts chapter five. And I'm summing all this up uh, really loosely. So please, please go back and read it. So verse uh, 40, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. Never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. They endured the beating, but they would also endure in their purpose and they considered it a joy. Here's the thing. When endurance leads to joy, when it creates this joy together, these four things become a self-propelled deepening of relationships. Endurance leads to joy, which leads to greater vulnerability and endurance and so on and so forth until all the believers are united in heart and mind. The last thing I want to point out is that all of these things are things that we choose any one of us can actually make the choice to go first to choose to serve alongside somebody to stick around somewhere for conversation and laughter to invite somebody to lunch to have people over for a board game to go for a walk around the lake to watch the game together we can all choose to go first to go first in vulnerability. You can invite somebody to endure the hard things with you that you're going through, or you can step up next to somebody and say, I will walk through this thing with you. Now, some of us are going to find some of these things easier than others. Some people find joy really easy. Some people find cynicism a lot easier. Some people know how to step in and serve, and others are going, I'm not quite sure how to do this. For sure, some people are wired in a way that vulnerability, while scary, is not that difficult. It just seems to come naturally. Others are rocks <laughs> who would rather just keep pushing through the hard thing and endure. We need to do all of it, not just the things that come easy to us, but maybe start with what comes easy. And if you are somebody, or easy-ish, and if you're somebody who goes, yeah, I can do that, You don't need to wait for somebody to invite you to do it. We can go first. These choices are an active commitment to belong to each other, to be authentic together, to contribute to each other's lives. And we strengthen our relationships by an active commitment to each other. We strengthen our relationships by an active commitment to each other. We choose to be a community of joy, not by faking it, not by happy, perky, shiny people, but by an actual authentic vulnerability, (laughs) by being vulnerable enough to laugh and cry together. We choose to be a community who serves together, who serves one another, who bears one another's burdens in difficult times. We strengthen our relationships by choosing to, by making an active commitment to each other, by being people who are so convinced of what we have seen and heard, so confident in our hope that we would actually lean into an active commitment to the purposes of God, including loving one another in the community around us. So let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, we are grateful that you have, (laughs) we're grateful you went first. That uh, you loved us before we were ever capable of loving you. Scripture says when we were sinners and a mess, you loved us when we bring our sin and our mess to you today, you love us. That you came to us. That Jesus, you would come and go through the pain of being part of humanity to show your love, to show your power, to create an avenue of grace and everlasting life. God, we're grateful that you sent your spirit to us, that we would be empowered and sustained, that we could somehow have the courage to go first, to lean into joy and service, to be vulnerable knowing that you've got us, to endure knowing that you are faithful and you are with us. So Father, with whatever we face, would you give us the strength and courage to boldly proclaim your truth and your grace to the world around us, to remind each other that you're good, that we are seen and loved, and you are with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.